Okay, welcome back in to another episode of Believe in the Wolfpack, another somber episode of Believe in the Wolfpack. Another bad loss for the men's team last night. 59-53, they lost to Virginia. We're going to cover that in this first half, and then in the second half, going to you know go over some more college football stuff and even some uh, NFL coaching news, which has been on my mind all day, pretty much. I don't really fully understand the process of <laughs> hiring a new head coach, but I do have some questions. But like I said, going to start with the men's team dropping another game, their second loss in a row uh, to Virginia, losing 59-53 to after only scoring 15 points in the first half. I could stop right there, and that's pretty much all you need to know. If you start off like that, nothing else matters the rest of the way. Did they make a comeback and lose in overtime? Yes. Does only scoring 15 points in the first half put you in a hole and kind of give you that mindset of, ah, oh, we just don't have it tonight. We don't, we're not going to win tonight. We're not going to, it already puts you in that negative mindset. Yes. 15 points. And I mean, it's the same issues that I've been talking about. They just haven't been making shots. I mean, it's just poor shot selection. The offense doesn't look that clean. It doesn't look fluid. Like 34% from the field. Not great. Not the worst. 28% from three. Not great. Only six free throws in the game. Definitely not great. Especially, you know, 13 total free throws uh, for Virginia. They only made seven of them, too. That's some of the reason that we were in this game, along with their three-point shooting. They were only four of 17 from the field. That's 23.5%. They did get 11 points off the bench from Murray. That was pretty big for them. And they had... Um, four out of their five starters in double figures barely in double figures but hey they're in double figures uh minor had 10 dunn had 13 mcneely had 10 and beekman had 11 the only one that didn't have <laughs> double digits was uh road he only played 12 minutes and only took two shots <laughs> so i guess murray kind of filled in that role for him because he went two for two from deep but then you just look at the numbers from our side, Burns, 5 for 12 with 11 points. That's not bad, and it's a decent game. DJ Horn, 3 for 12, 3 for 7 from 3. His only makes were threes. Went 3 for 7. 3 for 7 from 3 isn't bad, but when you're 3 for 12 overall, that's not great. Jaden Taylor, he's only taken 6 shots this game. He only took shit in 6 shots. I don't, ugh, I don't know. Marcel, 5 for 14... Not much production off the bench. O'Connell, the only one, the only exception in my mind. He had 10 points in a strong second half. But I don't know. I'm just – it feels like it's the same story where it's either a slow start or a poor shooting performance. Like the last few weeks, it's just – it hasn't really been pretty. I mean, 84-78 to 78 loss to Virginia Tech. Yeah, at least you put up – uh, 78 points, but some of these losses, like putting up 54 against North Carolina and then only 54 points in the win over Notre Dame, like it just doesn't, I don't know. It's the second time we've lost two straight this year. Back to BYU and Ole Miss from what was uh, late, late November. Late November's last time we lost two straight. But losing two straight and losing in overtime after having that poor of a first half, that's just not good it's just not good it's going to take a lot to come back from that I already kind of talked about how 
there's there's this tough schedule coming up with Virginia, Syracuse, and Miami. So this Virginia game, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a must win, but it was like, uh, you can't lose this game, <laughs> if that makes sense. Not a must win, but it's a can't lose. Uh, and then this Saturday at Syracuse, you're playing at Syracuse, they're incredible at home. I don't know. I'm not I'm not liking our chances in that one. Miami too. Miami's a great team this year. They're not ranked, but they're a great team this year, especially in ACC play. I think they are ahead of us in this standing since we did drop a few spots. Oh no, they're not. They're actually three spots behind us. Syracuse is two spots. But Miami's still 13 and 6. Uh they're 4 and 4 in the ACC. Syracuse is 13 and 6 as well and also 4 and 4. Virginia is now 14 and 5 on the year and then 5 and 3 in conference. So, I mean, we were close in this game. If Virginia is, you know, they look good now because we just lost to them and they're ahead of us in the ACC standings. If they keep climbing, this could have been a quad one win. And I talked about in the last episode how, you know, we got to get more of these quad one, these quad twos, these, you know, certain wins. We don't have them on our schedule. This could have turned into a quad one win by the time, you know, the tournament rolled around. The whole point of the regular season, you want to get to the tournament. You want to be one of those 64 teams that gets in. And I don't know. It's not looking too good right now. The Syracuse game, like I said, I'm very worried about being at Syracuse. They've been playing good ball this year. They beat Duke. Uh, when they were when Duke was at Syracuse visiting them, Miami, like I just said, they're very good. Georgia Tech, that should be a winnable game at home. Uh, same with Pitt at home. But then we get right back into this issue of how many quad one, quad two wins. The next option, I mean, Wake Forest and Clemson back to back. Those are two big games, and they're both away as well. So it's just. Uh, that's gonna that's gonna be a tough one too but both of those games could be you know Clemson could be a quad one win Clemson and Wake Forest both those together that's a quad two quad three maybe you know both quad two wins you never know because Clemson they started off in the top 25 they were top 25 most of the first half of the year but have since uh fallen off just a bit and yeah Boston College later Syracuse again but that's a home game, so that should be a little better. But that Boston College game, that was a tough win at Boston College. Hopefully they can just do that again <laughs> this time at home. And then I guess, like, you really got to, like I said, play some perfect ball, and now you almost need to upset one of North Carolina or Duke. The Duke game is home. I'm kind of circling that one more so than the North Carolina game. I guess it's also because, you know, I already saw what North Carolina is. They're third now. Uh, uh, an experienced team for college basketball, which not many of. I mean, look at Kentucky. Kentucky's top 10 almost every single year, and they never have the same team. So it, it is rare to see an experienced team. It's like North Carolina, uh, Purdue, Tennessee, a few others, but those are kind of the main that uh, stick out to me. So that, I mean, you kind of have to win one of those two games against North Carolina or Duke and then make some noise in – the conference tournament because otherwise I don't know I don't want to keep having these conversations about if we're gonna make the tournament why did we not shoot that well only 15 points in the in the first half like they they gotta start hot if they even if they struggle a bit in the second half where you know obviously I still want them to win the game but if I had to pick a half 
where, you know, you shoot better in, you come out and you're on fire, you score more points in that half. It's got to be the first half. You, they, This team needs a strong start. Because going back to December, I was talking about how this team can go on runs and fight back in games and, and you know, make it a close game or pull out a win at the end, which they've done a few times. But it's still the consistency factor is not there. You need to find these better shot selections. So often I'm just looking at it like, what are we doing here? You got to have a clean start, a consistent first half where maybe you don't go on a big run. And that's okay. Because if you're scoring consistently, if you're getting, you know, you're never you're never really going on a scoring drought. You want to avoid the three, four minute uh, scoring droughts, field goal droughts, even if you're going to the free throw line. I mean, just you got to get something. You got to get something. Honestly, six free throws, six total free throws. Made five. Yeah, that's great. But I don't know if that's on the officiating. I get tired of blaming officiating. Um, So just take the ball to the rack some more. Go up strong. Go up aggressive. Get a good drive. Try to get into somebody, you know, lean on them, toss up something, draw a foul or two, head to the free throw line, get them in foul trouble. I don't know. I did We'll see you after this weekend, the Syracuse game. Um, if it's an ugly game against Syracuse, it might be <laughs> it might not be a somber episode next week. It might just be a furious one at that. Um, but some somewhat uh concerning news about MJ Rice. He is sitting out the remainder of the season looking to count this as a red shirt season so he'll have another year of uh eligibility this won't count towards his eligibility i'm not sure if that got confirmed yet but i imagine that it will played in nine games i mean it should i think hasn't played in a good bit now some speculation on why he's sitting out maybe mental health some people are saying but i don't think anything has been confirmed yet um, just hoping everything is okay with him, if that is the case. But regardless, from a basketball standpoint, unfortunate uh, to lose out on MJ Rice this year. Who, again, I was very excited about. I was looking forward to you know him transferring in, former five-star from Kansas. Looking forward to him coming in and kind of creating a role for himself, finding himself in this in this offense and just seeing what he can contribute off the bench i even said possibly move into the starting role or just be a great bench piece i don't know i'm still hoping the same for cam woods who don't know what's happening there (laughs) i really don't know what's happening there but again hoping that mj rice is okay hoping that i mean we see him next year um but unfortunate that he'll miss the remainder of this year but again hoping that everything is good on his end gonna take a short break here only doing a little basketball stuff just because like i said I don't want to get too negative you know what i mean it's uh, whatever uh when, when we come back some college football talk feel like we haven't done that in a minute and some uh nfl coaching hires that also affected college football hardball knew it called it knew it easy so easy um and just going over why sometimes i just don't understand how these NFL teams are run. Okay, welcome back in. Believe in the Wolfpack. I'm going to get into some uh, college football stuff, college football talk, football talk in general. But first, uh, I want to start with the schedule drop by the NC State 
football social media pages. I'm looking at it on Twitter right now. If you haven't seen it, go look it up. I assume it's on the Instagram too. I'm just looking at it on the Twitter. Uh, it's uh, it's it's a tough one to read. <laughs> it is a uh, interesting. I think that page, you know, sports but art, art but sports. I think on Twitter. Uh, I can imagine they found some kind of Picasso painting in a second that looked like this because, uh, yeah, can't really, you really gotta try to look to see, there we go, okay, now I find a pattern of the games and the schedule. Uh, You know, just, maybe we workshop this one, maybe we put this one back in the vault. And then we come out with something all about, I don't know. I'm just saying not many people were happy about it. Some people were much more critical than me, but got to say first thoughts. When I saw this, I was like, I don't know what I'm looking at. It it was just kind of a, uh, a mess to put it lightly, but still schedule came out. Uh, our first game is a Thursday night, which is kind of weird, but like, whatever, what are you going to do? Um, looking forward to that. <laughs> Got plenty of time for that, though. So, gonna you know appreciate some of the recognition that Peyton Wilson has continued to get. Uh, ESPN put out a list of I think it was the top 100. Yeah, top 100 players of the 2023 season for college football. Number one was Jaden Daniels. He won the Heisman. That's easy enough. Uh, but then Peyton Wilson was 13th on this list. He was the second defensive player on this list, only behind Dallas Turner, who had, you know, 10 sacks, played for Alabama. I think he was the SEC defensive player of the year um, and going to be a first-round pick, so, like, whatever, that's fine. Um, (laughs) But Peyton Wilson, 13th best player in college football this year. Uh, The first linebacker, obviously. They just kind of mentioned how he – you know, was second in the Power Five in total tackles, first in the ACC, pretty much led this Wolfpack defense. So, you know, he's gotten the awards and whatnot, obviously, but to see him continue to get this kind of love is nice to see. And they even have his preseason ranking on here, which was 81. So you go from 81 to 13. <laughs> pretty good. A few better. Uh, number 11 was Ollie Gordon, the running back from okay state he was unranked in this uh in the preseason top 100 and then went to 11th i want to see if there's any other big moves malik neighbors from 37th to 6th brock bowers actually went down he was second in the preseason rankings now fifth marvin harrison jr actually didn't move that's impressive (laughs) probably did that on purpose (laughs) preseason ranking he was third and he was third here. Jaden Daniels, he was 15th in the preseason. And then first, obviously, like I said. But no, still cool to see Peyton Wilson here. Uh, I was looking at another mock draft. Just, again, looking at Tankathon, uh, they usually update theirs about once a week. So I like to just go through there because it's the easiest to look at. I don't get bombarded with ads if I'm trying to go on like an autumn. CBS Sports, or even ESPN every now and then. Actually, that's the thing, too. Mel Kuyper, uh, I think his mock drafts are always behind that ESPN Plus paywall thing. And even when I log into it, it'll log me out, and then I just get tired of it, so then I stop trying. 
Um, so then I go to Tankathon. <laughs> but they actually don't have uh, Peyton Wilson as a third-round pick anymore, which is crazy to me. The only thing that I can imagine is a major knock on him is his age to where, like, oh, you know, you can't mold him to say, I guess, to, you know, become an NFL caliber or a better linebacker. But he's already one of the best linebackers in college football. So, and I get it. He didn't play in the SEC, whatever. But I, I'd be shocked if whatever team takes him, when they take him, he doesn't make an immediate impact. I would be blown away. So, I mean, if he goes in the third round, even that's a steal to me. If he goes later, that is a major, that is a robbery. But a quick update on the top, you know, picks. Only quarterbacks and receivers in the top five. Caleb Williams won. Drake May two to the Commanders. Jaden Daniels going third to the Patriots. Talk about a complete flip in kinds in styles of uh, quarterbacks. Going from Tom Brady, Mac Jones, I guess you can count Bailey Zappi, to Jaden Daniels. You got Tom Brady and Mac Jones. All those two who were the main starters the last few years, just pocket passers, not moving, can't really make highlight plays themselves. And then you go to a guy that's being compared to Lamar Jackson. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, it, it would be it'd be pretty funny to see. It'd be good to see. But if Jaden Daniels or even Drake May, any quarterback, honestly, that goes to the Patriots, for the love of God, Get him some weapons. Get him some legit pass catchers to where you're not just setting him up for failure in his first year like the Panthers did with Bryce Young. Um, but speaking of receiver receivers and, you know, pass catchers, Marvin Harrison Jr. goes fourth to the Cardinals, which is the perfect scenario for him and the Cardinals. Uh, and then Malik Neighbors, he's, he's going fifth to the Chargers. And then even Roma Dunze. He's going sixth to the Giants. Not one defensive lineman, not one tackle. It is three quarterbacks and three receivers that are mocked right now. If that happens, that would be ridiculous. I don't know if that's ever happened, especially receivers. Receivers for a little bit, it was kind of like, yeah, maybe one or two goes early in the first round. Otherwise, it's going to be later first round, second, third round, third day. But this could be three receivers in the top 10. In the top 10. It could be four weapons in the top 10, depending upon where uh, Brock Bowers goes. Because right now he's 15th, which I think is crazy low for Brock Bowers. He's currently being mocked to the Colts, which would be unbelievable if you get Anthony Richardson Michael Pittman and Josh Downs and Brock Bowers with Jonathan Taylor and that offensive line that's an incredible team that is an incredible team right now Kool-Aid McKinstry he dropped down to 19th which I feel like is a little low Cooper DeGene the white corner from Iowa <laughs> looking to be the first one since I think it was the guy on the Giants was it Jason Seahorn, I might be completely botching that, but looking to be the first white corner in about 20 years. <laughs> yeah, I think it was Jason Seahorn. It was. It was Jason Seahorn, number 31, played on the Giants. Cooper DeGene looking to bring that back. And then Keon Coleman, he's going 
kind of later first round now. He really dropped. Earlier in the year, he was looked at as like a top 10 pick. Now he's 24th here going to the Cowboys. Hmm. Adonai Mitchell, another receiver. I mean, this is a loaded receiver class. You're going to hear that every single day from now until the draft, how great this receiver class is. You're going to hear the same thing about how, oh, you know, Malik Neighbors, he would be number one in any other class if it wasn't for Marvin Harrison Jr. Oh, Adunze, he would be number one in every other class if it wasn't for Harrison Jr. and Neighbors. Oh, Keon Cole. That's all you're going to hear. Even Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers, he would go earlier if it wasn't for Marvin Harrison Jr. and Malik Neighbors and these guys. But um, it's looking more and more likely, and it's probably a lock that Caleb Williams is the number one pick to the Bears, which, you know, branch off. The next question is, what do they do about Fields? There's no way they keep him unless you're making Caleb Williams sit a year. But usually you do that if, you know, you have a veteran quarterback in there or a guy you just kind of want him to learn from that you still think can kind of win. But it feels like the Bears don't really feel that way about fields so what are you going to trade him for i forget who said it but somebody said they could get the eighth pick from the falcons for justin fields absolutely no way no way i get it quarterbacks unbelievably valuable the most important position in the game at every single level but justin fields for the eighth pick in this draft no chance absolutely no chance only a few quarterbacks, well, maybe not a few, a good amount. There's there's, there's a decent, you know, split the middle, split the difference. Um, a decent amount of quarterbacks in this draft that you could get, or, or in the league that you could get a top 10 pick for in this draft. I do not think, I love Justin Fields. I'm a Justin Fields guy. I think wherever he goes next, I think he will have success. But I'm not giving up the eighth pick in the draft <laughs> for Justin Fields. Would I give up a second round pick if I was a quarterback needy team that I didn't really feel like drafting a quarterback for Justin Fields? Yes, I'd give up a second round pick. Absolutely. The eighth pick? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> uh, but hey, maybe some team will. And that kind of brings me to my next point of why I don't understand uh, the thinking of NFL front offices so nearly every head coaching vacancy has been filled so far Jim Harbaugh like I said win or lose he's jumping ship jumped ship to LA which was a little surprising to me going to the Chargers but him working with uh, Justin Herbert I think is going to be life-changing for Chargers fans I think I mean Herbert's already incredible I think Herbert's one of the better quarterbacks in the league that just kind of He's somewhat in that Matt Stafford role where he's so great and so talented, but he's just had terrible coaching and the teams around him really aren't that great. Um, I think Jim Harbaugh is going to greatly change that. I think the Chargers may be, I don't know. I've always been somewhat of a softy for the Chargers just because uh, I played Madden 06 all the time when I was younger and I would use the Chargers in that little mini game where you would just toss it to the outside with Danny and Tomlinson and then he would just take it to the house every single time. It didn't matter. You could put a spin move on a guy. You could juke someone, hurdle, truck, run around him. He's scoring every single time. I think everyone talks about Mike Vick in Madden 04, the one that he was on. Not enough people talk about LaDainian Tomlinson in Madden 06 with McNabb on the cover. 
I'm just saying, give the man some respect. Um, but back to my point about the head coaching hires, the Patriots hired Jared Mayo. They pretty much just promoted him internally. He was their linebackers coach, played for the Patriots, which, you know, I get it. You have trust. You've kind of had this plan for a minute that you were going to uh, make Mayo the head coach once Belichick left or retired or whatever. I do think it is such a bad idea and just irresponsible that you didn't even interview anybody else. Good for Mayo and good for the Patriots for sticking with their plan, but the fact that you didn't even interview any other candidates. You could have brought some guys in just to, you know, see like, hey, just in case someone kind of blows us away, especially this year where they're talking about how it's the greatest head coaching free agency possibly ever. And you just kind of promote a guy internally without interviewing anybody else or, or, or even thinking about anything else, which is crazy to me. Um, but then the Titans went with Brian Callahan, the OC from the Bengals. I still think no matter who the Titans hired, I think it was going to be a bad idea because they fired Vrabel in the first place, which they should not have done. He is a fantastic coach that made a very bad team look half decent this year. And they still played hard every single game, which, you know, can sometimes be a challenge in this league. Um, the Raiders, though, kind of the same thing as the Patriots, but a completely different, you know, a completely different scenario, but kind of the same because they just promoted Antonio Pierce to being a head coach, took taking off that interim head interim title. Pardon me. Wow. Words. Listen, I've had a little head thing going on. It's It's been a long week. Cut me some slack here. But um, they promoted Antonio Pierce, which was the right call. They interviewed a few other guys. But Antonio Pierce, the way that the team rallied around him once Josh McDaniels got fired, either Antonio Pierce is the greatest person ever and the greatest head coach and the biggest players coach ever and everybody loves him, or Josh McDaniels is the worst. <laughs> Both can be true. I'm going with the first option because Antonio Pierce does seem awesome. You saw an immediate change in that locker room and the attitude of the Raiders uh, once he was the interim head coach. And even Max Crosby coming out, and Devontae Adams, but Max Crosby more so, saying, trade me if Antonio Pierce is not the head coach. That was pretty cool. That was pretty cool by Max Crosby. Devontae Adams wanted him as head coach too, even with the rumors of Devontae Adams possibly being traded. With Antonio Pierce's head coach now, maybe that cooled off a bit. Um, but even from a financial standpoint, I think this was the right call by the Raiders because you still have to pay Josh McDaniels the 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 contract you gave him. You fired him. He didn't retire. The contract wasn't up. You still got to pay him that contract unless he gets hired somewhere else, which I don't, I don't think he will. Um, and then you still have to pay John Gruden. Because you fired him a few years ago for being just the worst. And he might be back in the league soon. But you still got to pay his contract. You gave him 10 years, 100 mil, I think it was. You're still paying that for another three, four years, I think. So Antonio Pierce, the correct hire for the team and the correct hire for the front office. I think it's my favorite hire of this coaching cycle. My second favorite hire is actually the Panthers with uh, Dave Canales, the OC from the Buccaneers. I think that's an incredible. I think he's great. I mean, look at what he did with Baker in that offense. He made Baker possibly get a massive 
quarterback deal in free agency. Rashad White looked awesome. Mike Evans still got his 1,000 yards Hall of Fame receiver that he is. Chris Godwin may have taken a step back, yeah, but that entire receiving core looked good this year. From Troy Palmer, David Moore. David Moore from his Seahawks days was pretty good, too. But David Moore looked good. Even Chase Edmonds had some decent plays. That offensive line was great. I mean, that Buccaneers offense, you know, when they weren't putting up stinkers against the Panthers in the last week of the season, it looked very good. He's another one of those younger hires, innovative guy. Um, I do worry, you know, if he's going to be able to put up with Tepper and whatnot. But I don't know. I just like him as a coach and as an OC, so I think – that will work out. And then the Falcons just hired Raheem Morris, the defensive coordinator uh, from the Los Angeles Rams, former head coach of the Buccaneers years back. I think he was the interim head coach for the Falcons for a bit. Maybe he was there for just a year. No, I think he was interim after they fired Dan Quinn. I could be wrong about that, but I know he was the head coach of the Falcons for a little bit. Um, That's a good hire, I think. I mean, I'm not crazy about that one. I'm more so confused how there's two head coaching vacancies left. The Commanders, which will most likely be Ben Johnson, and then the Seahawks, which I think is going to be Dan Quinn. Belichick and Vrabel. I thought they were going to be the first guys to get hired. Especially Vrabel. Belichick I could have seen, you know... With the with the wanting to be a GM stuff, which actually Arthur Blank did say there were some hurdles, I think, um, as to why he didn't hire Belichick. So maybe he still wanted to be the GM and Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, was like, mm, no, I don't think so. But I don't know. If you're the Falcons too, especially with the way you've drafted and underutilized these guys, or if you're the Panthers... Even the Chargers, like, I mean, the Chargers with Jim Harbaugh like that hire too. But the fact that, I mean, Pete Carroll's still out there, kind of, whatever is going on over there. But Belichick isn't going to get hired. Vrabel might not get hired. Vrabel's too good to be a defensive coordinator at this point. He's a head coach. Same with Belichick. Belichick's not going to be a coordinator. Are you kidding me? Unless he loves coaching and loves the game of football that much and can put his ego aside. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not even saying that he has a massive ego. I'm just saying you're a head coach. You're considered the greatest head coach of all time. Going back to a coordinator maybe wouldn't be the best look. Um, I cannot believe neither of those guys have gotten hired. I mean, if you're a team that needs an OC and neither of these guys are offensive coordinators, you might as well take a chance. Like, if you're a team that needs a coordinator or needs some kind of a coach and maybe you're not the most confident in the next year kind of like the eagles the cowboys the bills um listen you bring in those guys just to have them on your staff so if you fire your current head coach boom right there (laughs) it's just an easy promotion imagine like sean mcdermott gets fired next year and you just promote Bill Belichick or Pete Carroll or Mike Vrabel midseason. It's like you wouldn't even skip a beat. <laughs> so, I don't know. I get it. The, the the league wants to go younger. Every team wants to go younger all around. But when you got Mike Vrabel, who's a former coach of the year, and you got the greatest coach of all time available, and you're not giving them the job, that makes me a little curious as to – how the interview process went and what the thinking is in some of these front offices. But I don't know, I guess confusion all around from NC state basketball to NFL front offices. 
Maybe I'm just questioning. Maybe I'm the one who's wrong. That actually seems much more likely. I've been wrong before. I'm probably wrong about this, but I'm going to believe that I'm right because I feel like I made some good points. <laughs> Listen, who knows? Really, who knows at this point? But like I said, next game for NC State, just to wrap this up, uh, this Saturday at Syracuse, that's going to be... Who knows? Who knows? That's going to be a tough game, but who knows? Uh, the women's game is going on as I'm speaking right now. They currently lead Clemson 45-26. to 26. That seems like it should be all wrapped up in a nice bow soon. And then South Carolina and LSU, they just started. So I might go check that one out now. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Believe in the Wolfpack, and we'll see you next time.